This is Entheogen, talk about tools for generating the divine within. Find the notes and links for this and other episodes at entheogenshow.com. Sign up to receive an email when we release a new episode. Follow us at Entheogen Show on Twitter and like Entheogen Show on Facebook. Today is May 24th, 2016, and we are discussing building Entheon with Alex and Allison Gray. Welcome to Entheogen. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Hey, Joe. Thanks a lot. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, guys. It's so great to, uh, to have you on the show. Um, this is a, kind of a special occasion because you have this uh, Kickstarter that's underway and actually, what, like three quarters of the way through now. We have about a week as we record. No, we only have tomorrow will be five days left. Wow. Okay. Five days tomorrow. That's so six days today. But anyway, so we're coming up to the final push. It's in the home stretch here. And uh, now you guys have made, uh, you're, you're close to your stretch goal of $200,000. That is quite impressive. So congratulations. How amazing. Yes. Uh, I, it's a, uh, but thanks to the community of uh, third-eyed uh, friends out there, you know? <laughs> well, you're the expert in, uh, <laughs> in the third eye. And uh so, um, you know, when I say um, Entheon, um, listeners may be wondering if there's some kind of glitch in the podcast playback, because we talk a lot about entheogens, um, which most people know means generating the divine within. Um, you know, that usually refers to a substance or technique or tool, like we say. Um, so am I correct in saying Entheon is a place to discover the divine within? You got it. That's exactly what we say. So it's, you know, I notice it's not a place to discover the divine just in general, but it's, it's more a place to discover the divine within, which implies that the power of discovery is within the individual. So is that an important distinction to make? Well, I think that that's the, the mystic distinction. That's the, um, the difference between an exoteric uh, religious overlay and an intrinsic insight generated from within and that kind of personal insight is what each of us bases our you know truth on and so those visions of the uh, visionary mystical experience which now we know it's even scientifically verified that psychedelics can give us a visionary mystical experience, that some of those people are artists and they want to translate that experience into a, a picture. So if these are genuine glimpses of the visionary mystical realm, uh, the heaven realm, basically, then uh, this is a new kind of sacred art. It's a window into uh, the heavens. That's a lens, basically, provided by the uh, kind of architects of, or not the architects, but archaeologists or explorers, psychonauts of inner space that uh, go within and try to bring something out to share a glimpse. It's like a, it's like a little snapshot from the, the uh, visionary realm. Well, you guys uh, both uh, have, uh, you know, painted and, and brought back many of those snapshots and, and sort of turned on many, many people uh, to that to that broader experience. And, uh, you know, we many people have <laughs> much thanks for for you and your intrepid uh, exploration and uh, just, you know, diligent um, 
reproduction of those those visions. And uh, it, now the the place itself, if I encourage listeners to go to buildentheon.com and, and check it out, you know, not only is the art inside, I think, very transformative or will be, um, but the building itself looks to be incredible. Well, uh, Brian James, the builder here, has been focusing on the sacred mirrors room, which I ostensibly, I guess, will be the chapel of sacred mirrors within Entheon. I just wanted to say that there, this is a 12,000 square foot, three-story building. So the sacred mirrors room on the third floor is only a part of the floor. There's quite a few galleries, including... The first gallery you enter, the gallery of the International Visionary Art Movement, uh, where we're going to be showing the originals. Uh, we're going to be borrowing them uh, for a year from the best, finest, most accomplished visionary artists and uh, putting them on view so that other artists and everyone who's appreciating visionary art can see the actual brushstrokes of the artists, the real true pieces that are the best and most iconic pieces of each of these artists. So that will be on view. But then the sacred mirrors room is up on the third floor. And that's uh, an incredible sight to behold. If, if you visit the, uh, the Kickstarter page, um, I, a few, few weeks ago, I, I checked it out and, uh, uh, and I was just blown away to see this, uh, to see this photo of the sacred mirrors room with, I mean, the arches in place and you can start to see where the, the paintings will go and the, the angels and it's just, uh, just beautiful. I mean, you can already start to imagine it. Well, you were there since New York city, Joe, and so you understand what we're doing and, uh, what will go there. What do you mean by since New York city? Well, uh, Chapel of Sacred Mirrors used to have a place on 27th Street in Chelsea, the middle of the uh, art world there, for five years. And uh, it was a thriving little cultural hub for uh, the visionary tribe. And uh, so we became friends at that time. And psychedelophiles, I would say. It was both. It It was visionary art. And all kinds of interest in sacrament, sacramental culture, yeah. dance and music. Yeah. And art. Yeah, it was, it was a, in the home to many, uh, many, you know, amazing events in addition to, you know, artwork. Um, definitely just a gathering place for the community. And I mean, that's one of the, ma- you know, uh, major aspects of, of Cosm as it is today. Um, exactly. You know, even, even before Entheon is, is open, um, you know, Cosm is open. So, you know, listeners can check out cosm.org and there's tons of events going on and you're open on a you know daily or weekly basis for daily. Uh, yeah for people we have people we have people staying overnight all, uh, 365 nights a year and uh we had just had the big full moon weekend where we had uh we have a friday evening a late late open friday evening program we have a saturday workshop we were uh, talking about permaculture and then the saturday night full moon ceremony including fire circle and fire spinning and tarot and, you know, all kinds of music and, and group art making me out of sand mandala. And then Sunday we talked about sacramental culture at our church where we all sit together and draw to the most wonderful music that John O'Hea uh, DJs for us. So we have these, these, these various things that we do and we just had a big weekend, but you can come here anytime. You know, this Friday we're having a, a sign. A science writer um, who 
came out with a New York Times bestseller on uh, a, a scientific look at creativity. So she's going to come up and we're going to have a conversation. And then Graham Hancock is this Saturday. So it's an uh, exciting uh, jam-packed Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is really exciting. Now, Allison, you mentioned um, sacramental uh, you know, culture. And I should just mention that's one of the things on my topic list when we have you guys back on the show with uh, the, the full show um, to discuss the spiritual use of entheogens and, you know, I guess, sacramental use. Um, something we, we you know, uh, ostensibly discuss, but we haven't really talked about it much on the show. And I feel that you guys are kind of, uh, you know, leading experts in that in that field. Um, and so, yeah. you know, we don't have to get into it now, but I definitely want to, you know, put that out there that uh, listeners should stay tuned for a, a bigger conversation about that. Well, just to touch on it, I wanted to say that when people have these experiences, they have very profound experiences that and memories around it, feelings, changes, transformation goes on. And they want to talk to other people about it. it. It's that kind of feeling. They just feel like they need to touch base with other people that may have some resonance with that. Uh, it drew Alex and I together. And so we like to provide that context here. It drew uh, my wife Ashley and I together as well um, through a, a mushroom trip, our, our, you know, kind of, um, it, you know, spiritually our first date, I guess you could say. Um, our first actual date was a Tool concert, so it doesn't really get much better than that. Uh, <laughs> if you meet on those levels, you know what I mean? You know that you, you, there's a spiritual core. I mean, I know you and Ashley do very different things with your lives. You know what I mean? You, you go off and, and she's doing like incredible things and you're doing wonderful things, not together, but you come together in a spiritual core and around music, but music that's, that is part of a uh, kind of a philosophical or a feeling core. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it helps build a strong base for a relationship. So that's why I, I admire you guys so much as well, you know, because you've, you've always shared that, uh, kind of parallel path to, to our own. And, and we've seen the, the benefits firsthand of, you know, sometimes you just need to reconnect uh, with, with these um, entheogens as well. And it really helps the relationship. Well, it essentializes things, doesn't it? I mean, you kind of like go, that doesn't matter. When you get really matters, right. which is love. Absolutely. Yeah. All the other stuff looks very feeble by comparison. And so love uh, is this shining force. And uh, so it, it's really so wonderfully reorienting. I think the thing about uh, that we like to just in a nutshell think about sacramental culture is that the uh, uh, sort of en entheogens and uh, the reemergence of uh, psychedelics uh, in the West as a, as a, a subject of interest is something that's really um, important, and it's connected with civilizations from all over the world for thousands of years. So we're really reconnecting with the, quote, old-time religion, the real old-time religion, and, uh, you know, kind of shamanism, and the, uh, the various kind of plant teachers and things that uh, throughout the world have been connecting people back up with the intelligence of nature. So I think that uh, that's a wonderful kind of uh, meet, meet 
the family and they're, you know, for thousands of years, you know, you find prehistoric caves that have references to uh, psilocybin mushrooms and mushroom headed people carrying mushrooms and all kinds of, uh, you, you have the bovine, uh, you know, or cattle kind of images. And then you've got droppings and then you've got mushrooms coming out of them. And then you've got mushroom headed people, you know, so these are really very clear references to a psychedelic uh, prehistoric uh, ancestry. Well, I, I want to say when, in relation to that, that these, uh, these prehistoric uh, uh, artifacts or, or images that, that come from that are all we have left of that culture. That culture left art. That's what we have. And they wrote it on the cave walls and they told us what was important to them, or at least this is what we caught, was their inspiration uh, and their relationship with bison and mushrooms and mushroom-headed dancing people. That kind of thing is, and in the Egyptian and in every culture, that's what you have left is the art and artifacts of that culture. So I want to go back to the whole idea of Entheon and say that that is why we feel that it's important for our uh, our culture, our psychedelic sacramental culture, um, to have evidence uh, that says that you know we you know in our generation there were people who valued love and unity and spirituality and peace over commerce and war. So that is why we feel that temples, you see, temples represent a community that loves each other and they wanted to get together and make something beautiful together. It's a large art project for a community to collaborate. And, uh, you know, you need the people who pour the cement and you need the people who are the carpenters and you need the roofers. We've got roofers over there. And all of them know that they're building a temple and they really feel very I don't know. You know, you talk to the workers, they, they just are so excited about and happy and pleased with what they're doing. So we're, we feel like to, to have this for our community filled with art um, leaves evidence of, of our um, uplifting, you know, that, that, that our sacramental experiences uplifted us and had uh, us more loving in our community so that we wanted to raise the money. I mean, really, it's an enormous project. This project in the end will be a two, probably a $2 million to $2.5 million building that adds that kind of value to this property, which, by the way, if you want to know who owns a church, because we are a church, Cosm is a 501c3 and a legitimate church in the eyes of everything, okay? So we're, you know, what, what, what is it? Well, it's owned by and run by its board, its members, and everybody else who loves and uses it every day. Like, let's say they, they buy things and they support it by uh, visiting and going to events there and whatever, making contributions. So that there's the board, which, by the way, Joe is the chairman of Cosm's board, and he has been for some time because he believes and is devoted to, uh, you know, the mission of Cosm. The mission of Cosm, by the way, is to build an enduring temple to uplift a global community. So building a temple is our mission. And why do we make that the center of our mission? Because it's the work of a community 
creatively. And Alex and I are artists. We've we've met in art school, and you know this is our this is what we want to do. We want to make art with the community, and and the highest, most spiritual art you can make with the community is a church. Well, as you mentioned, it's it's a community that you know that's what a community does. A community builds temples and. On the other hand, as you mentioned, it's also um, a testament to a community having having lived or having having gathered here, having having existed. Um, and you know, a, a temple, a lasting temple, is is a testament to that. Um, it's it occurs to me it's almost somewhat apocalyptic to kind of. Uh, to to consider these things and to to look into the deep history of uh you know of of culture uh which as you said was evidenced by you know lasting uh art pieces and and cave paintings and and uh you know small sculptures and things like that and to think um you know what are we building what are we what are we creating that's that's lasting um and by the same token looking back on this spiritual use or sacramental use of of entheogens um it's almost like it, it it was always the case uh, as far back as we have evidence. I mean, we have evidence of people uh, sort of using entheogens. Um, it's almost like in the recent history, we've we've you know in the West we forgot, and then we remembered, and then we criminalized it, and we're just now on the cusp of like reconnecting with it and and uh, and and legitimizing it. Um, and, and by the way, you, you know, you guys are a major part of that, uh, as well as organizations like MAPS and so on. Um, and at the, at the same time, it could not be coming at a better time, because in, in all the ways that we are seeing challenges as a civilization, like our own personal uh, psychological kind of issues, um, our disconnection with nature, um, and, and so on, th- these are the exact issues that entheogens seem to uh, help with. So it's uh, kind of a beautiful story. It's an amazing historic uh, save by the plants and <laughs> right. by, the, by the intelligence of nature, basically, and probably a host of spiritual forces that say, Okay, well, they're not hearing us otherwise, so best bring in the fungi, you know, and <laughs> and uh, so and and the cactus, you know, the the unfolding of psychedelic history is just one of the most fascinating things to me, you know, and uh, I think it was just today. Um, Something like uh, Weir Mitchell had his first peyote experience back in the 1800s, the 1890s, and uh, or maybe it was 87 or something. I don't know. They the the early people like the cowboys that were taking peyote, and then the researchers, the scientific researchers, and then it finally found its way back to a Berlin laboratory where Hefter distilled the alkaloid mescaline. 1897. So, uh, to my mind, that begins the psychedelic uh, era, and uh, that's a, a. So it's been growing. You know, it's something. It's been a growing wave. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to uh, to to be in this community for that reason because the the wave is sort of uh, you know just continuing to build and. Uh, I just think back to, you know, even five years ago, but certainly 10 plus years ago, 
um, th- this was a joke. I mean, this, you know, it, outside of the very, very close inner circle of the community, um, it was just not even something that people considered. You know, it was, it was just, it was just a joke. And, uh, you know, even going back to that point, people said, you know, you'll never see cannabis legalized in your lifetime, you know, or, or, or used medicinally and, and things like that. And, and this is all changing right now. I mean, this is all like happening and, and the tide is turning. Um, so it's, it's really, I, th- I think if, if this, if this, uh, if the tide does turn and if, uh, you know, these sacraments are, uh, legitimized and legalized, at least for medicinal purposes, it will be just in the nick of time. I believe that too, Joe, and let's keep promoting that uh, idea because I think that these are the, um, you know, the just what the doctor ordered right. and uh, the prescription for the ailing psyche that is uh, disconnected from the sacred roots of reality. And uh, so it's the soul medicine uh, for our, you know, uh, the weary kind of existential, is there any meaning or should we just exploit the earth and be the last generation and not give a shit? I think that it, I think that it shows such a callous and, uh, you know, unreflective uh, nature that, uh, you know, one wishes that there could be a a psychedelic month for the world where everyone is dosed who uh, kind of is able, you know, and we get a cosmic reset, you know, like the uh, the mass doses, you know, uh, and but it's a it, it's a uh, maybe only critical for uh, certain people uh enough people to open that door that it becomes a less scary door to go through. There will always be, uh, you know, caution one should take regarding, uh, you know, the sacrament, of course, uh, regarding it as sacred. But the criminalizing of it it, um, should go away. And the whole thing with cannabis, I think it's really the reframing of history that we see. Uh, When I realized that cannabis was thoroughly legal and uh, something you could go to a Turkish smoking parlor and they were like Starbucks in Manhattan, you could go around there in the 1890s and just go in and, you know, smoke some hash and then go get some coffee and, you know, and it wasn't a big deal, you know. so it's really interesting that the AMA begged Congress not to outlaw marijuana, not to outlaw cannabis, because it was one of their favorite medicines that they prescribed to people. And uh, so, uh, you know, partly I'd say some strange ailments that come about uh, for people are because of a lack of uh, cannabinoids. You know, we have an endocannabinoid system, so it's probable that... Uh, you know, that were that were symbiotic with cannabinoids. That since the beginning of time, cannabinoids were okay, and people used them, and it had a certain medicinal uh, healing effect. 
Uh, and now, you know, they've been forbidden for several generations and now they are uh, suffering. People are suffering from lack of something that we have a, a system set up to accept. Cannabinoid deprivation. Yeah, we should have t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get t-shirts. I'm now. suffering from cannabinoid deprivation. <laughs> be, be a very popular t-shirt, I think. That's a great <laughs> idea. Well, I mean, you know what's amazing is, like, I only learned of the term, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to say, um, uh, cannabidiol, uh, CBD. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very recently, and you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, uh, proud uh, pothead. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, and but going way back, it's like everyone knew the term THC, and it's like, oh, that's yeah. the, don't say THC in front of your parents. You know, that's like uh, they'll they'll know that you know they'll be on to you that kind of thing. Um, and it's all anybody knew was was THC, and CBD is proving to be way more, um, you know, medicinally kind of important even. Um, and it's just, I mean, how ridiculous is it that we sort of, that knowledge was, was like either, either never discovered or, or very, very, um, you know, discovered very late or forgotten. Yeah, buried, so buried and made Probably. taboo. I exactly. Mean, in the 1800s, the late 1800s, you could get things like there were, well, hundreds of products, thousands of products with cannabis as, uh, as a part of the, the uh, ingredients yeah, and yeah. you could get them right off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yep, that was part, that was part of the whole, uh, system. So it's very interesting. The, uh, now the genetic, uh, kind of, uh, furthering and the, uh, uh, the, of these certain, uh, elements like the CBD and, uh, it's had such miraculous results in, uh, epileptic, uh, children and things. And it's been a, a healing boon for many. So, you know, to say that we're only in the uh, infancy of uh, cannabis research is to simply look at the uh, American government and say, why are we trying to obstruct this uh, old friend and medicine from being explored? It was legal in the United States prior to the racist drug war that Nixon started and is now verified that it was simply based on racism and his hatred of hippies. So, and Jews. Uh, the, uh, the whole crew that he associated with marijuana and with some of the mind-expanding uh, chemicals, they tried to demonize. And uh, they, his hatred of Leary is well known. And so the uh, that John Ehrlichman just last month came on and said, yes, we knew we were basing this on lies. The drug war was based on lies. So CNN now has that on record. And isn't it time that we start to, you know, demolish the DEA and just, uh, you know, begin to have cognitive liberty? figure out ways that uh, we can think more fairly uh, than trying to criminalize something that can evolve our consciousness. I think uh, it's about time for sure. Could not, could not happen any, any sooner. I mean, the, the crazy part too with, with cannabis is I think it's even harder to research it um, in many ways because you, you ha I guess you have to get it from uh, 
if, I, I guess from a like government approved source of which there are none yes. kind of thing? Well, there's one and it supplies poor product. Uh, and it, and it won't even, uh, show that, oh, this now, uh, you can have this much CBD and this much this, you know, it, it's so dialed in already by the industry. You can buy stuff where you can uh, find out the percentage CBD, the percentage THC. And, um, so, and these are pure oil products now that are being distilled and to uh, say that the researchers can't use them, you know, is simply to be obstructionist. Yeah, it's, it's really true. And, and it's just a shame because this, you know, it, it should not be a shock to anyone that these, these plants in their natural form, um, you know, can, we have such a symbiotic relationship with them and they can be so healing in so many ways. And we have this sort of like really weird fetish with um, highly refined, synthesized, uh, you know, laboratory created uh, compounds, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. uh, Some of those are really great too. Um, But, you know, why reject this like long history we have with, with these things? And it just seems so obvious to anyone who, who has had any experience with, with, with plants. Um, and it, it, you know, and it's hard, I don't know, at the same time, it's really hard to make that case to, you know, as we, um, kind of just broadly say the government or the, the people, the lawmakers, I mean, there's just this, still this stigma attached to this stuff. And I don't know, I mean, will it, will it happen? It's been, it's, it, it, it may happen before, um, you know, the next generation of, of lawmakers, um, I, I hope it does, but it's, it's like so hard to convince, um, you know, to give it, convince people that lived through like the, the, you know, the beginning of the drug war to that, this is like, that was really wrongheaded and, and we should really rethink this whole thing and maybe even think about it as retribution. Let's make all this stuff, uh, legal. Let's undo all the damage that the drug war did as a way of like, you know, paying retribution to those people that we just, you know, that Nixon just clearly, um, you know, basically uh, had a race war against. I want to sidebar this conversation with a little note that people have asked us, what is LSD anyway? What is LSD? Like, what is it made of, you know? Uh, And I just wanted people to understand that it is, uh, it was developed from an ergot growing on rye, and ergot is is mushrooms. Ergot is the fungus. Fungus. So when you, if you were to look at LSD under a microscope, it looks like a little field of mushrooms. They have little caps and little stems, and they're little tiny, and they're only under a microscope. But that's what they are. They're tiny ergot. little ergot, ergot. Yeah. but they look yeah. like mushrooms. They they grow yeah. up like little mushrooms. And they're very, very microscopic. So anyway, it's it's distilling what's in there uh, into a, a very, very concentrated um, uh, substance. The the most concentrated psychoactive substance uh, invented, isn't it, Alex? Uh, apparently, yeah. yeah. So far, yeah. I, so people are really taking mushrooms, and you just. So, so don't think it's not a thing or that it's some chemical ingredient or something. It's not, it's, it's, it's air. Well, well, it's all, it's all chemicals, you know, and, and people, um, it, it's so weird. There's all these weird, like, uh, vestiges of, of, I don't know, some very strange, 
um, 60s propaganda or something where, you know, people talk about how this chemical, you know, first of all, it's called acid, and that's really scary, and how it's deposited in your spine, and it never goes away, and you can have a flashback (laughs) because you could crack your spine, and it's released, and it's like all this ridiculous stuff that you hear. Wrong. That's just all all completely wrong. (laughs) This is a really good time to to blow up our friend Robert Barnhart's movie, A New Understanding the Science of Psilocybin, which is showing tonight while we're speaking here. But we've seen it and we've all seen it. And it's amazing. We're going to show it sometime at Cosm in the future. But it really does. You know, I say amazing. I mean, what's amazing is how, how chill it is. It really will explain to your parents and your grandparents uh, why it might be an interesting idea to try this substance as as a medicinal in, under medical supervision and uh, for a therapy, and I think that's wonderful because they really want to to offer a new understanding to release the taboos that have developed over the last generations and start to talk about how it can really help you. I mean, what these are powerful substances that under the right circumstances. Uh, set out with intentions, it can really help you. So anyway, that's what that movie is about. And I look, I, I look forward to screening yeah. it with our friends at Cosm. Well, the thing that, the thing that uh, I love about the movie and that all the psychedelic science is that the most healing experience that the, uh, every one of these people uh, have is a mystical experience a union with the divine kind of experience and that determines the degree of their healing and so the uh the value of a glimpse of that space is um it is like a glimpse of heaven it's like an affirmation of your uh life and so that's why we think that uh, the art that's made that's based on those experiences is worth, you know, collecting together and uh, putting into a, a sanctuary of examining. visionary art. Examining the, the, real, the real work by many artists, dozens of artists who not only are helping us build the place, but will also be on view. You know, if one or two of their pieces uh, will be exhibited for a year and then return to them safe and sound. That way they can keep their best works, their most icon- iconic works if they want to. A lot of, a lot of visionary artists do that. They only, they only part with the limited editions, and so they keep the originals. We want to sh- bring them out of the studios and put them on view for people to see. And we want to uh, create an eventual collection of visionary art that and the, in the far future, in the 2020s, we see the building of a chapel in the meadow here, uh, if possible, if we are successful. And that the, will, that will uh, that, show our work. Yeah, and we'll, sacred mirrors primarily. Exactly, we'll pull the we'll pour, pull our work out of Entheon and place it in the chapel, and then hopefully fill the Entheon with the work of the international visionary art movement. And there's so many amazing artists now that are really attempting to depict uh, these visionary states and getting uh, quite good at it, too. I, I think that we're developing a kind of encyclopedia of the inner dimensions. And I was thinking that this is a bit like uh, the Hubble uh, telescope. Uh, it's a, you know... 
only very loosely connected underground network of visionary artists that uh, are basically trying to uh, explore and uh, translate the um, visionary domain. Yeah, and by showcasing it and, and curating it and, and uh, you know, uh, displaying it in, in various combinations and in, in various orders and stuff like that, you can almost, um, you know, sort of walk, walk someone through the experience, if they, whether they've had it before or not. Um, they can come away with, uh, you know, maybe that same kind of transformative experience that uh, actually, you know, partaking in an entheogen uh, would, you know, would have. And... I think there's something to be said for collecting the originals um, because, you know, it's kind of amazing to see the brushstrokes, uh, you know, to, to think to yourself, this is powerful stuff. And then to look closer and then realize a, a person made this like with their hands, that's incredible. You know, that's, that's a really powerful realization, I think, for people to be able to have. So that's a, I think that's a great idea to be able to bring together the originals in, in uh, Entheon. That's right. I think so, too. It's very important to have a place. I mean, for people to look to have a temple, to have a museum, to have land that is owned by the community uh, is a power. And, you know, what we really want to do with our power is to transform the planet. That's really what we want to do. We want to we want to bring everybody's awareness to higher consciousness. And so uh, that is why even have a temple because you are making a stand and you're saying we are not only, uh, you know, devoted to our point of view, but we're, but we are, you know, beloved by a large and powerful community of transformative individuals that want to see, you know, planetary, uh, survival, you know, and, uh, we're going to be a stand for that. And you, you become like a, you know, you, you put up, you erect a temple, you erect other festival grounds or, I mean, look at how major, you know, some of these festivals, Burning Man, for instance, is just uh, a really an amazing stand for, you know, 50 to 80,000 people that get together around the spirit of creativity, art, and freedom. Yeah, and popular culture can't ignore, you know, that scale uh, of Burning Man or of, of something like a collection of, you know, transformative visionary art uh, that, that will have in Entheon. You know, it's something that you just can't, you can't just, you know, sweep it under the rug and ignore it. These are experiences people are having, people are going there, people are, you know, uh, opening their minds and, and uh, the world changes as a result, I think. Sure. I think that there's much more uh, psychedelic imagery in popular culture these days. Not only has the science kind of returned, but there's a graphic sensibility and, uh, even people as very uh, wildly popular as uh, Miley Cyrus and uh, uh, folks like that, and Sturgill Simpson and ASAP Rocky, they've all made uh, kind of bows to the uh, psychedelic experience. So if this isn't mainstreaming uh, it, uh, I'm not sure what is. However, a, a friend of ours, uh, Bob Jesse, was... Uh, quick to say, um, hey, I wouldn't go, you know, blowing a horn and calling it a renaissance yet. Um, this is a, a good, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. There's a lot of positive signs, but things could be easily uh, crushed 
And so uh, this is why I think a lot of the uh, scientists have been very cautious to uh, kind of uh, be real, um, you know, integrated with uh, cultural kinds of uh, things that sound like uh, recruitment or a zealous kind of uh, fervor about this because they remember the kind of negative press that happened in the 60s and 70s. And we really want to try to avoid the lies and just have everybody look at it, even scientifically, and see, choose the best path, choose the positive path for humanity, uh, the, the path that's in alignment with the higher good for the greater number. And I think that the sacraments have a part to play in that. And I think that this place, as a, a storehouse for the visions generated by that state, is a, is a way to testify to the generations coming that there was, uh, there were, was a family that saw this way and saw the unity and saw the love. Well, very well said, and uh, uh, it's, it's inspiring. You know, it, it's I think it is good not to get caught up in uh, the excitement of just the very recent renaissance of uh, research and uh, popular culture, you know, mainstreaming of things like ayahuasca and things like that, um, and to just be cautiously optimistic, I guess, and, uh, you know, and just uh, and, and do our small part to, sure. you know, to contribute. I mean, you know, uh, listeners who want to see this world that we've been discussing uh, come into being should contribute to the organizations that are helping foster it into existence, like Cosm, Cosm.org, uh, BuildEntheon.com, uh, Maps.org, Hefter, Beckley, any others you guys want to mention? Well, I just wanted to say that this summer we are going to be joining with Maps and the Dr. Brauner Foam Dome Camp at Burning Man. So if there's anybody out there who's thinking, you know, I would really love to go to Burning Man, but I don't know anybody. Well, you could be in our camp and you'd know us and, and it's going to be great. Alex and I are going to paint a mural that we've been painting here and there. And they're going to put up a, a stage and a wall for us to do that. So anybody who's thinking about coming to Burning Man, there's a wonderful camp that Dr. Bronner's uh, and Maps and Cosm are going to put together to, to provide you know, when you join a camp, you 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 know you have food, you have um, you know lavatories and showers, and you have something to do and people to hang with. So, you know, I don't know. It's a great opportunity. It's an art fair. It's probably the freest, biggest art fair maybe in the, in the world. world. Yeah, I'd say. And uh, one of the great festivals, that's for sure. We're uh, always happy to return to Burning Man. Uh, because this is the we were there in uh, ten years ago with Maps and uh, Matt Atwood at the first emanation of Entheon. It was called Entheon Village, and uh, so now we're building the actual Entheon, and we got that Kickstarter crowdfunding kind of uh, campaign going on, and it's going well, and we're so grateful to everybody. But everybody out there who loves Alex's art and has ever been to Cosm and ever owned a poster or got a tattoo or knew somebody that had one, ever went onto our website and, and loves the work and wants to support it, if they would just go on, there are wonderful rewards at every level. So 
you know, we have five days left, five and a half days left to the campaign, and we want to give our shout out to that. Yeah. Buildentheon.com. And uh, I think it's really interesting, Alex, you mentioned that uh, Entheon, the first kind of incarnation was at Burning Man 10 years ago. And uh, the first uh, sort of rumblings of, of this show, Entheogen, w- uh, came from a talk at Burning Man two years ago, my, my first time, my only time at Burning Man. And I am uh, really looking forward to being back this year. Uh, oh, yay! So I will see you guys there in the so dust, as they say. Awesome. And, uh, and in the foam, I guess. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it should be kind of interesting. We, um, we, we would, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we would love to do a, like a roundtable interview with uh, you, Alex and Allison, and Rick Doblin from MAPS, who will also be there um, at the... Uh, uh, Dr. Bronner camp as well. So I'll, I'll ask Rick when I see him and we I don't know. Please. That'd, that'd be, that'd be awesome. And, um, we could either do it from the foam shower or maybe just from a table with microphones, either right. one or the other. Yeah. Either one. An RV probably would make sense. We have an RV, so we can always do it indoors or, um, if you want to do it in the fray, We've got a little stage they're going to put up for our mural. We can just sit sit there, but it may be very active in that room. Yeah, I think it's where the music is. It's actually. always kind of uh, yeah throbbing. Okay, we'll we'll check it out. I have all the equipment, mics, and stuff like that um, for the sort of on-site you know recording and stuff. Um, you know, we could I don't know maybe people would be interested in, in hearing it, or we could certainly just uh, you know hole up in an RV somewhere and just uh, you know record it a little bit more quietly. That's um, true. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That'll be that'll be awesome. Um, all right. Well, thank you, thank you, guys, uh, my friends, Alex and Allison Gray, for joining us. It's been so great to have this first uh, interview with you, um, focusing on Entheon, and uh, I'm really looking forward to talking with you again with my co-hosts Kevin and Brad. Um, they're very sad they couldn't make it, uh, but we wanted to get this recorded and posted before the close of the uh, uh, Entheon Kickstarter campaign. So again, listeners, go to buildentheon.com. And, uh, and, you know, just pledge. I mean, check out the different levels uh, and rewards and things like that. It's some really cool, really interesting stuff up there. Um, and uh, check out some of the original art, too. I mean, scroll, scroll down and, and check out what uh, some, uh, you know, people in the community, visionary artists are, are offering as part of this campaign. You've really got the support of the, the entire community. It's not just, you know, you guys up at Cosm. It's, it's really the entire community that wants to see this happen. So that's, that's also really a great vote of confidence as well. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. You are so dear to us. Yes, thank you, Joe. And thanks to all the uh, visionary community, too, for, uh, you know, showing up for this. It's tremendous support. We're so grateful, really. Awesome. Well, we love you guys. And uh, thanks again. This has been great. Thank you, Joe. Love you. Bye. Bye.